0: Welcome to The Realtel Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Downs, the founder and CEO of The Realtail, and we're on a mission to improve retail customer experience, to measure website's speed and design, quality of product information, cart and checkout experience, post-purchase communication, fulfillment and packaging, customer services quality, and overall sustainability of products and packaging. If you're interested in learning more about The Realtail Customer Experience Report, just go to forward the www.itworks.company/the-retail and there you can find more information and some examples of the customer experience report. Today we're going to be talking about product information and the data that underpins it. In my experience, the significance of product data and data hierarchies are often underestimated in relation to the success of website and projects surrounding the websites. Now, over the years, my default go-to person relating to all things data integration is Craig Bennett. He's the Chief Technology Officer at Comistry. Craig has worked with many, many, many Australian retailers, you all know who you are, to help design and structure their data in order to deliver great online retail experiences. So who better to get into discussing topic than Craig? Craig, welcome to The Real Tale, and thanks for joining me today. Uh, hi, Paul. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. <laughs> so... We're here to talk about product data and product information. So let's get let's get into it. So, product information I, I see is a really expansive subject area. You know, in your opinion, where does it start and end? I'm guessing kind of what's the scope, what's in
1: scope, what's out
0: of scope when it comes to product information.
1: Mm, yeah, in, interesting to think about that. Um, a lot of businesses, I think, will get caught uh, by whoever's most powerful in their IT department or whoever's historically been in charge of product information. So, there's a view of product information which says it's it's all that's required to do your stock accounting. The, every business, you know, buy stuff, sells stuff. So, there's things like product codes, uh, maybe barcodes, uh, card codes to match the suppliers. But uh, product information, um, as we've gone online, as we've needed to um, present that product and merchandise it in more spaces electronically, has become much broader than that. So, Things that maybe your marketing department worried about for your print brochures in the past, your, your imagery, uh, the voice that you're using to describe the product, um, information about the product that's going to let other people interact with it and search for it. All of that comes into scope for product data. But I think that it, it actually now it's gone even further than that, that maybe traditionally somebody would have said there was a boundary on your your product data that stopped when you started talking about pricing. Or inventory levels, or the URL, uh, the public URL of your product on your website. But actually, those are all vital pieces of product data when you're, when you're an e-commerce merchant. Mm. Um, you're going to be making decisions on how a product is presented, where it's presented, uh, based on, certainly on its inventory levels. Uh, it might be on when the inventory's coming. Uh, next drop of inventory is going to arrive. Um, pricing is absolutely critical. It's all part of the customer's experience uh, touching that. And uh, you know, things like categorization might be being automatically driven by the state of your pricing. And, and we see the fact now that product information uh, is not just a, a push-forward set of data. So certainly, you know, customers might be giving you reviews and things. You want to capture that back into your, your product information, reuse them uh, for other business purposes. But when I talk about things like the, those, the, the public area of your product, you know, every merchant I would expect has a Google Shopping feed. And that Google Shopping feed needs to link back to your website. Yeah, There's SEO in the URLs for your images and all sorts of things. And all of that actually ties back to your product.
0: Yeah. And I suppose also it's the the metadata, so the data about the data, so that you're able to categorize as well, right?
1: It, indeed. Indeed. Uh, I mean, I guess it might be a bit early uh, in the conversation to talk about um, empowering people with automation around their product data, but yeah, I can't tell you how often I talk to people where the life cycle product data. So something being a new in product and then being an on sale product and then yep. being a clearance product um, requires someone to manually change things on the product. Now, the the effective product data that you want to get, the categorization or the presentation of that product about its its life cycle is the same. But mm. the, if you if you expand your definition of product data include, to include things like stock levels and pricing, a lot of that yep. can be automated sure and of course for the for the kind
0: of less initiated listening to this as well you know product data is also the images video and and on the last show we had um we we just went kind of went off on a very brief tangent into accessibility but i guess also the the voice recording so if if, um for those that are um can't see the need to hear product descriptions um, it would be voice recordings as well. Would be classified as product data that you would store against that product,
1: presumably. Abs- absolutely, and and yeah. I guess it, it depends what where your products live as well. So uh, images and videos absolutely critical, but uh, material mm. safety handling sheets. You know that's that's quite a, a technical piece of information. But if you were selling um, yeah. uh, goods in the hardware space uh, or chemicals, uh, those can be really critical. Uh, even uh, tiny little bits of information like, is this, is this a dangerous good for shipping? Um, that's going to affect your presentation to the customer online. It might change the shipping options they can have, but it's also going to feed off into the information you send to your warehouse system, your freight management system, all those sorts of things. So it's a lot more than just getting that product code to, to pass around on, on a sales order. This is why I said it's expansive. It's almost never-ending. Well, if you, again,
0: I think if you look at it from different different stakeholder types, sort of being, you know, I guess for for the retailers listening to this, they're going to be thinking about their customers and product information and, and everything, and enriched uh, product data for their customers. But, like I say, people working in shipping, people working in warehouses, mm. product data that's really important them to them to do their job is also equally mm. important. So, I guess mm. in the in the context of, of product data, product information, actually, there's a buckets of stakeholders that you need to consider as well.
1: Yeah. And and I think one of the things that's happened as the value chains around e-commerce have become more automated, pieces of information that maybe historically were just managed in the background... Yeah, you know, it, and dangerous goods is a great example of that, or the mm. the harmonisation code to, to correctly calculate your your freight and duty uh, your duties yeah. um, when you're when you're crossing uh, borders. You know, those things just used to get managed, and we didn't need to care about them. But actually, getting those right and having them there from the start and making the process streamlined all affects your customer experience. Yeah. So 100%. you you might need the description and the video and and the images and the good seo to bring them in uh but to deliver on the exp- on your delivery promise uh, you're going to need bits of product information too
0: yeah and i think also just you know
1: adding to that is the definition
0: of what that data is so that especially when i'm just thinking of clients we've got that we're working with at the moment that are looking for um third parties to be providing them their product information on an ongoing basis they've got hundreds of thousands of SKUs and so the, mm. the kind of enrichment and management of that internally is just not feasible so you you would look to your suppliers to provide that then of course not only you've got to define your data but you've got to be able to go out to your supplier and say this is how I want you to provide it to me mm. so there are another stakeholder group that
1: are really important to consider mm. when you're looking at this 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 subject of product data and product information and, and I think interestingly there, Paul, you can end up in a little bit of an arms race. Sorry if I'm going to take yeah, that- us off, off on a tangent here. But for a retailer who manufactures their a, and owns the brand of goods that they're selling, um, obviously, it's ultimately up to them to make that, that data as great as it can be.
0: Mm. For a
1: retailer who's selling uh, a, an item that any other retailer could sell, interesting questions around how you need to leverage the product data so that you don't just disappear into the Google results. Yes. Maybe uh, for some flagship products, you'll need to actually have your own voice, have your own presentation, put some effort, not just into receiving the product data feed. I'm thinking about things here like um, computer... Uh, computers and, and it goods you know they're very standardized feeds of so sometimes very detailed product information are available yep. so then it becomes how can you leverage off and use that product information rather than ending up putting up just an equivalent html to every other uh, you know computer shop in 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 australia yeah so uh, my next question is slightly loaded but um in your experience
0: um, and I'll tell you mine in a minute you know how often do, do retailers underestimate the significance and complexity of managing their product data hmm. do you think there's a good understanding of this or we are we
1: teaching people to suck eggs here i think it really does vary so it, and it might be to do with where they are in their journey in terms of 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 the new world, of the online world. Mm. Um, everybody has product data, right? Yeah. If your point of sale can can scan a barcode and sell the right item at a price, you have some product data. Yeah. I think retailers often underestimate the effort of moving from a point of sale that, um, with all respect to my friends who make and sell point of sale systems, probably hasn't changed radically since the 80s. You know, it's a Windows, it's a GUI interface, but it's still, it, the, the business process there hasn't changed a lot. Mm. So, the product data that they hold is suitable for those systems. Online, we want to start to think about richer relationships, whether that, that might be mm. relationships between colorways, um, yeah. relationship between related products, group products. And I think retailers are often surprised by how much effort they need to put in to, to make that work, especially if they are running systems uh, for the physical side of their business, which have been in place for a long time.
0: Yeah. And I think those are changing. We're certainly seeing those change more with the advent of clientele I think the advent of delivering uh, unique experiences in store beyond just coming in, Mm. picking something up, trying it on and buying it, um, and and the ability for the brand representatives to interact with customers. Um, The the product information goes way beyond what, what you would use on a... For a website you know and it needs to be delivered down to some kind of hybrid point of sale solution that allows Mm. customers and brand representatives to kind of interact with
1: products you know as well as being in the store but i guess seeing lifestyle videos or that kind of stuff as well oh definitely paul seeing people they might they might be setting up a kiosk experience they might be setting up uh, you know the product information can start coming into uh, screens in in change rooms to support customers self-servicing questions while they're trying items on Um, but also just things like that the endless aisle experience where a salesperson can move from just enabling you to buy what's on the floor to actually enabling you to buy anything that's in the retail network. You need to help that salesperson with good product information. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I think it comes in green. Would you like me to get one in for you? Show the customer, let them experience it. Hmm. So thinking about it, as we're talking about it now, you know, we identify different stakeholder
0: groups when in the context of product data, Mm. but there's also use cases of where's it going to be, you know, where or how's it going to be consumed beyond the website Mm. to make sure that you've got the right data to be able to, like, say, if you want to do a changing room experience, you know, that product image might be different for that because you know, it's going onto a bigger screen, so it's a different resolution, a different format, but obviously systems need to know that, and therefore that's when the kind of classification becomes really important so that it knows how to route that. So I guess, yeah. for, you know, thinking about it, you'd map out you know, who are the stakeholder groups and what are the key
1: mm. use cases to ensure that you've got the right structure of your data to service all of those. Yep, and I think um, that kind of touches on the idea that... Um, product data is a strategic asset. Yeah, If you have that information there and you structure it well and you put it into a system that can support you to leverage off it, mm. you get a lot more agility about being able to do things. Yeah. Um, if you focus very narrowly on, on one use case, and that might, for example, and that might be, look, we just need to get this up on our primary website, then other uh, use cases, and that might be a, an in-store use case or um, sharing data with uh, you know other marketplaces, um, mm. people whole, uh, purchasing from you wholesale. Yeah, uh, those are those are harder to achieve if you just um, get a little bit too focused on your on your primary or first use of the product data.
0: Yeah, and I guess for those that are, that are not producing their own products but they they're buying from a wholesaler and aggregating whatever they're doing that you know you should think about including a range of product data that comes with the products that you're buying and you negotiate that into your contracts. Mm. Seems to be weird. I mean, it may just be the, the engagements that we, we we get involved in, but it's almost kind of an afterthought. I mean, there's a basic set of yeah. product information, but all of that metadata that we've talked about, that, that information about the information so that you can pass it through to the right systems, uh, I don't see is
1: uh, often thought about and therefore uh, negotiated into the contracts with suppliers. Yeah. One of my um, uh, customers, uh, they sell uh, health products and uh, we've been with them on the journey through two iterations of, of their, their website. And, mm. and and when they came to build their current version of the website, they specifically sat down and thought about the data that was required for them to deliver an amazing experience online yeah. and, and to deliver information that wasn't just useful but kept the the shoppers coming back to their site because they knew things and, and could allow somebody to search uh, or, or find products in a way that other sites couldn't uh, match. And part of that was a, was a 12-month effort of going back to all their suppliers and actually saying, um, you must comply with this information. We need to know... Yeah. Detailed lists of ingredients. We need to know what certifications you've got. Are things organic? And it's not sufficient to just give that to us as a big block of text.
0: Yeah, sure. So now I think we've kind of articulated the nature of product data and product information. Let's talk about where we put it. And I think this is where um, we can bring the PIM or the Product Information Management System into the mm. into the conversation now. So because it's a I, you know, it's been around for a while, but I still think certainly the people I talk to. So, newish concept of having a single repository yep. for, for all of that product information management. Yep. And I think with, with the advent of marketplaces and uh, and different sales channels, there, there's a further level of complexity of the data structures required to service each channel. So a point of sale mm. requiring a different format from a website, from eBay, or from uh, any other marketplace. Um, so the, the, the role of the PIM is... Becoming more and more significant. So perhaps you can just tell us a bit, because I know there's this more than one type of PIM. Do you want
1: to just talk to us about what you know what they are and what the types are and why? Absolutely. So I think historically a PIM has been seen more as a master data management system. Mm. Early on in the process, uh, you know, you you might be a, a large retail chain, very expensive systems, and, and they are about building up the master data, without really thinking about the the consumption of that data through the rest of the business. Yeah, I think that um, more modern uh, PIM offerings are a little bit more agile. They might actually start working with the product data later in the process. So, I think a really telling question that that I sometimes get asked is but isn't the PIM the source of truth? And if there's anything that's happened moving into the 21st century out of, out of the 20th, it's that we've realized that there's never just one source of truth. Yep. I would usually think about the fact that your procurement systems, whether you're a manufacturer with a, a PLM or you're buying from wholesales, but your procurement yep. systems need to know about product first, but they just need those product codes to, to, to place the orders. There's going to come a point where you've actually decided to sell the stock. You've either yep. got the manufactured goods coming through on a, on a boat or you've, you've placed your purchase orders and you're expecting goods to arrive. That can be the trigger um, for a lot of uh, customers to start needing to enrich their data. So you can already see that we've had one piece of truth, the, the primary product code come early in the business process, and now we're going to move into, um, a, a, let's call it an e-commerce PIM experience. Mm. And that e-commerce PIM experience, again, might have quite a different uh, feel to it than a traditional PIM. A traditional PIM, you know, it could take a long time to establish the data, and, and it could be very limited in its scope. Um, often with an e-commerce uh, or, or a, fa- let's just say, faster-moving PIM experience, not only will enrichment need to occur Maybe quite in quite a short time frame before a product's ready to sell online. Nobody wants to hold stock, and we might not know what st- we're going to stock in six months' time. But also, the attribution uh, or so the the pieces of information we want to hold about a product might be quite dynamic. Um, trends run through the e-commerce industry, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to. It, it might be something to do with with you know certifications, or it might be something to do with a trend around thinking in terms of occasions. Uh, you know that. People need to be able to react very quickly and all of a sudden go, I wish I had this information about my products. Hmm. Now, that if you push that all the way back and say, oh, well, yes, we'll get it from the suppliers or, you know, from the product design team, well, you've just said that you're not going to have that information for six to 12 months. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you say, well, I don't have that information right now, I'm going to add the the, the fields to to hold it into the PIM. I'm going to see if I can pull it with some business rules. I'm going to see where in my business I might be able to source maybe something that lets me infer or create this data. Or maybe I'm actually going to sit someone down. They're going to run some rules. They're going to load some spreadsheets. And all of a sudden, I've added some new information that I'm going to hold in my product data forever. So how do you know when you need a PIM?
0: Because we got we have you know, various size businesses mm. listening to this, and they are they you know they ask us the I mean, case, you know what what point do you go from enriching product data in so a web platform in the context of a website to actually needing a PIM? And is mm. it a size? Is it a number of SKUs? Is it the number of channels that it's going out? What's the mm. what's the kind of key
1: points to help people work out whether they need one or not? So I think I think there's probably two. Key factors that I would think about. One is is the business size. I think it's very hard to justify a PIM if you're a you know a garage business, um, you know running one Shopify site. Mm. Uh, and that's not a criticism of Shopify. Just that you know Shopify is a great way to boot your your garage business until you become uh, a, yeah. a, a giant online experience. Mm. So I think it, you really start to get the benefit of the PIM where there are multiple targets for that information. So that could mean uh, multiple online channels. It could mean the enrichment flowing back into point of sale systems or other internal systems or the the product information supporting something about your your delivery and fulfillment value chain. That's when you, you, you start to need a function that says, I need to get this information right. I do think it can be to do with a number of products as well. If you have a very small number of products, it's not that hard to yeah, you know, I we talked to someone recently who had seven products. Yeah. Well, seven products can get data entered into ten systems in an acceptable amount of time. Less of a use case for them to have a PIM, but anybody who uh, is regularly refreshing their products, or uh, you know, has a large catalogue of products where the, there's actually a, a lot of information to aggregate and hold, mm. I I think they need a PIM. Does it also matter how many channels they're going out? Because you know, typically,
0: where the, where the alarm bells go off for me is when there's a, you know, a large backlog of of integrations out of your website into multiple other digital sales oh, channels, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. One one great way to think about that, Paul, is sometimes we'll we'll come to somebody who's, uh, you know, they they have a website and mm. it's working really well, and you you look in their website and there's a field in the in the product data in in the website platform called Google description and there's another one called Amazon Description, and there's another one called eBay Description. Mm. And what that's telling you is that business has identified that the descriptions uh, need to be different on those three marketplaces, but they haven't realized that there's a better way than making somebody sit down and, and retype the description each time. And that's where a PIM can help, right? When we design an information model in a PIM, we need to think about uh, the structure of your products and how to break out the information in a, in a good way. There's, I think there's a, there's a separate piece of modeling, which can be a bit of a surprise to an, a, a business that's been ERP-led or point-of-sale-led in the past. Yeah. That might be, for some businesses, color Will be incredibly important for other businesses. Color is immaterial, but it might be to do with, you know, health concerns or flavor. If you're if you're selling dog food, work out what bits of information there are that are critical to capture about your products. But then think about how each target for that information. Uh, and I'm thinking here about uh, Amazon versus eBay versus Google Shopping versus your own website versus you know somebody else who you're drop shipping to. The way that you optimize a product to appear, uh, even in something as trivial as the product title, you might want a different um, sequencing of words. You might discover that when you're selling shoes or selling boots uh, on eBay, it works better if you put high-heeled at the start of the title, whereas on Amazon, it's better to to put genuine leather. Mm. That is something that your marketing team and your SEO advisors will um, help you work out, and it changes with time. Now- if the only thing you can do in your in your source of information data is to have somebody go through and rewrite each one of those descriptions for the marketplace and then the marketplace changes uh, the the optimal way that that you should describe it all you've done is you've got an endless data entry job yeah whereas in a well structured pim if you say well i'm going to track the heel information. I'm going to track the upper information. I'm going to track the, the the color information, the the leather type and so forth. Somebody can just go and change a rule somewhere and all of a sudden you're able to leverage off that product data. Mm. It's become a source of um, agility when you need to change a, a, a feed and improve it rather than, you know, oh, well, we can't make that change. We can't improve our, our results because we can't easily change the data. Mm. So I get listening to that, there, there's it sounds like there's a combination
0: of the stakeholder groups. So if you have multiple stakeholder groups that have different requirements for that product data, you've got to ask yourself the question, what system's going to help us manage that? And then I guess the other thing is is volume. Because, like you say, if you have mm-hmm. seven seven products, or seven SKUs, that's manageable. you got 700,000 and you need to yep. change the construction of, of a certain element within that. Not so easy to do without a system specifically designed to help you do that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Great. That, that makes that nice and simple. Um, so it's just coming back to product data and all these different stakeholder groups, who in the business owns product data? product information. Is it IT? Mm. Is it um, a systems administrator across ERP? Is it the e-call manager? Who owns
1: product data in your opinion? Mm. So I, I have to say, with respect, I don't think it should be IT. Uh, IT definitely should support the product data, but they but the, it, it's usually a, an issue if they own it. Yeah, 100%.
0: They should be an enabler, I
1: think. They should be an every On every
0: front, an enabler. Yeah.
1: But but after that it, it does it does vary on how your business operates. So um, your purchasing team or your um, you know product design team that they're certainly going to be involved in in owning some of that product data. Even if it's only that they're giving enough information to the e-commerce team who might be writing the copy, or mm. maybe you're getting a third party to write the copy, take the photos. Mm. You need to give them some kind of an idea about the product, a bit of information, rather than doing it cold every time. I do think, though, that there is definitely a piece of the puzzle that is 100% owned by the online team, and that's the piece which is you know, keeping its pulse on trend and voice in the online space and effectively merchandising your product, whether it's on your own website or, or Amazon or eBay or somewhere else, that merchandising function needs to be able to decide to add more information or tweak the information Hmm. uh, as it goes out. I was working recently with um, – I I always love coming across a new product model or or a new product range, and I was working with a customer who sells uh, experiences. Yep. And they were – Working with a lot of, you know, big lumps of description that their team needed to create. And their their um, their CEO had a vision that uh, she really wanted to start being able to let a customer see quite quickly, uh, it, you know, wheelchair accessibility is, is a big thing when, when yep. you're booking something like yep. that, you know can you have children can you take your pets you know what 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 are the rules and and she was thinking in a very visual way about uh, the experience of that for the customer now pre- all that information was previously in their product information online but it was stuck in html they couldn't easily change it they couldn't leverage off it mm-hmm. that meant that the the team who pre- the online Let's call them the, the team who were previously almost just doing a spell check or a, a sanity check on information they got from suppliers. Now needed to say, well, the suppliers describe the the experience. You know, it's, it's up to the supplier to say how many times you go around the racetrack, or you know, what kind of car you get to drive. Yeah. Yes, there's some copywriting there to make it better, but then there's a thing to say. Well, let's take the supplier's description and own for the online team. All these other little yes, no answers or, or drop-down list answers, partly so that you can you can change the visual presentation, but also so that they could start to do things like A-B tests. Do, do things work better if I actually have a specific category around, uh, you know, disability-friendly uh, experiences, child-friendly experiences, pet-friendly experiences? You can't do that without the product data to support it unless you have someone there manually dragging things into categories. Yep, yep.
0: Back to those stakeholder groups again. Now, look, we're almost yeah. out of time, so I just want to finish with one kind of last question so that um, people can take something away here to, to ask themselves some some questions within their business. So I guess my question is, how do you know if your product data is fit for purpose for your business? Are there any telltale signs that would
1: suggest that it, it's not? Um, I think that's actually a really... A, a question that you can actually think about like a really traditional retailer. If you were merchandising a store, you would want your front window to attract shoppers to come in and you would lay out the store so that shoppers, you could optimize the walk around the store for people to put stuff in their bag and and sell the things you wanted. Your product information is ready when it's doing that for you online, Hmm. whether it's on your own website or somewhere else. Is it attractive? Is it bringing shoppers in? If there are multiple suppliers for the same product Hmm. in the market, how are you differentiating and making people want to come to your store? Uh, rather than your competitor now that for, for some some people that might mean images and descriptions for yep. others it might be a great search experience mm. but that's that's the test okay
0: I think it's good I'd probably extend that to stakeholder groups because of course that's your your consumer and that's all you know for retailers that that's that's key yeah. you've got those other stakeholder groups and if you get it right it makes life easier for them as well whether it's in you know warehousing mm. or servicing data on your own Craig as always it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um just before you go do you want to just tell us quickly how does if anybody wants to get in touch with you and and um have a look at
1: Comestry and what you do do you want to just tell us how they can reach you oh yeah pretty easy come to our website comestry.com um you'll be able to come through if you want to ca- contact me specifically i'm craig.bennett at commistry.com and I, I really love talking about product data I know so you do know feel you do. free to reach out I know
0: you do Craig it's been a pleasure thanks very much thanks Paul now I really enjoyed talking to Craig today and I hope you've enjoyed listening to us if you're interested in learning more about the Realtail customer experience report just go to www.itworks.company forward slash the realtale and there you can find more information and some examples of the customer experience report thanks and I look forward to you joining us on the next episode